So I'm really excited to have my dear friend Ross here. Uh, Ross McRae is one of my closest friends and we've known each other for many, many years. Um, he is currently the CEO of VideoAmp and um, he is also one of the most um, conscientious, a wise person that I know in spite of his young age. Thank you. Yeah, so, so I'm excited to um, have him here on the podcast. I'm also excited for him to share some of his uh, point of view because he has pretty contrarian point of view for for a lot of um, uh, for a lot of people so so welcome Ross thank you yeah very yeah. happy to be here so I was inspired at Burning Man after I saw Mongolian statue about 10 story high wow that uh, a warrior spirit mm -hmm. conversation so hence why this podcast is called noble warrior and the whole idea is to men gathering discuss what it means to be man in modern times Try some of these Mongolian tobacco. What is it and how is it? So smell it first. I'll tell you what it is. It's very minty. So this is a Mongolian tradition. Instead of a handshake, mm -hmm. they will exchange these snuff tobaccos to each other, mm -hmm. right? And then you would then use either put it in your palm of your hand and then snuff it, mm -hmm. or for convenience purposes, we'll use a, uh, an applicator. Mm. So I'll demonstrate and I'll show, I'll show you how to mm -hmm what it is. Put it in the applicator. Doesn't need a whole lot, just like that. And it's pretty like refreshing and you blow into your nose. That's it. Mm -hmm. Like this? Yeah. And I blow? Blow. Mm -hmm. Nice. How was that? Experience. How did it feel? Feel like ground, yeah. Feel like earthy. By internal state. Anything changed? Mm. Not yet. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. Make it a little more grounded. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So let's. Why don't we actually just ask you this question so you can, people can get related to who you are, what you're about. Um, what were some of the pivotal moments that happened in your childhood that makes you the man that you are, the person that you are? It's a good way to start. I think for me, I don't. I don't know if I can attribute one or two different types of key events. To me, it's, it's more of the, um, how I look at my past is more of these, this kind of continuum of different phases and um, of worldviews maybe even. And I think when I was, when I was probably, you know, eight to 13, very much taking my mother's and father's worldviews on which I think is more natural until I hit about that 13, 14 where I really started to take some of the base foundation of which they shared and started to really go out on my own and, and, and question my reality. And I think for me that was, I don't know if there was a individual event that happened, just more of this culmination. And for me, the big thing that I took from them, from my mother, was definitely the passion and the and the give it your all extremism and what you believe and kind of go all in. And from my father, more of the grounded, ask questions around yourself and um, don't really be affected by your environment and, and try to take things and uh, take things as data mm. and rather than taking things as personal, right? And that's something that for me um, is how I look at my life in these phases. And when I hit about 17, 16 maybe, when I started to really go to um, UCLA and started really going to university and I was really, my mind was exposed to a lot of people 
that were more uh, universal, uh, different countries, different um, different worldviews, and I think that was a very good exposure for me because coming from South Orange County isn't really the biggest. It's a lot of um, shared of, um, worldview. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, I mean, let's not go too fast. I want to kind of rewind just a little bit because yeah. a lot of people grew up. So a lot of people started listening to their parents wholesale. They yeah. take their ideas in wholesale, right? I love this idea uh, I actually got from Burning Man. <clears throat> Kids are essentially time capsules of their parents. Mm. And whatever is in the time capsules are the ideas, the memes that want between the parents. Mm. And then obviously, um, most people grew up taking their, uh, the memes from the parents' hotel. Mm -hmm. Then starting at 12, 13, whatever, they start to identify their own, develop their own identity. How did you, I guess, talking to you for a long time, I know you for a long time, um, you effectively run your life like mini experiments. Right? Yeah. There are different phases that you go through, yeah. but, you, and, but then you're very conscientious about the choices that you make. Speak a little, because you skip actually quite a number of experiments you did yeah. growing up. So sure. why don't you share a little <laughs> bit so people know yeah. and have some more context. Yeah, man, it's hard. I'm trying to, try to summarize that. It's challenging. I think there's, um, I really think, you know, let me, let me, I think one thing comes to mind now after you kind of phrased it in that way and probably a better way to answer your even original question. So I'll try to tie two and two together. So there was a time, I'm not sure if I've shared this with you in the past, might have, or at least it was a long time ago. There was a, in my freshman year, it's about 13, um, when I went to high school and my zero period English class, one of the first classes that I went to, it was set up in the sense where there was these pods of desks, like four, there's four, 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 four these little groups, and uh, this, uh, it was a science seating, so teachers sat, and it was me and um, these three girls. And over the, over the couple months, you know, I thought we were gaining, you know, a friendly relationship and just kind of a, more of a collegiate relationship. So I, um, at the time, I said, uh, one, of, one of, like, you know, after class, hey, well, one day we should hang out and go see a movie or something like that. And... I remember that I got the response of them pretty much laughing and saying, you know, the only reason why we talk to you is because we want to cheat off of your, your, your answers, your tests. Mm. And I thought that was remarkable. And I thought that made a lot of sense to me, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Oh, you didn't traumatize you actually? No, no, it made, made yeah, it, it made sense. Mm. Um, and then I think I shared that with like a friend of mine at the time, and he took that a lot differently than I did, right? And was like, what is going on here, right? Like, like why would you kind of, um, why, why would you um, take that? And then my thought was, well, I don't really care about what people think or whatever the case is, I'm not, I'm not you know, it is what it is. And he said, well, I bet, I bet you if you wanted to learn how to, let's say, become friends or learn how to play the social game and, 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 and try to add value in maybe an artificial or, or just an active way versus being to myself and just focusing on me versus what's around me, 
I bet you could really figure it out. And I'm like, yeah, I probably could. I'm pretty sure I can, you know, deduce how to interact. And at that point, I just was bored. So I said, fuck it. I'll just start to look around the world and start to try to analyze what's happening. So I would just literally look around the room and I would see people speaking to each other in body language and what some people would do to one another. And I'd basically cohort people out from different types of personas and different types of ways they speak, and what words they use and what um, body language they present themselves and ultimately everything they do, what they're representing. And I really started to just take in all the data in that way and try to create a worldview uh, uh, or even a mental model. And then I started to try to A-B test that and replicate it mm. consistently. So taking on this kind of chameleon, if you will, trying different things and seeing how I can, rather than just being me for the sake of it, if mm. I wanted to turn a switch and then I wanted to go out and give it, give out, so give an output to someone that will receive that in a certain way that is I'm intending for them to receive myself. Um, social engineering. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Twelve thirteen is the time we started to social, you know, study this yeah. science mm -hmm. of social engineering. Mm -hmm. And how did that impact your worldview going forward? It changed significantly uh, because because when I started to so when I started to try this, <laughs> it was pretty exponential in regards to the different types of social engineering that I could get out to becoming. And then probably within a year, I'd say, of, of more actively looking and taking in and trying things, I was able to go into any different type of group and, and, and assimilate from the jocks to the kind of the more popular, you know, douchey crew to... Um, to the academic crew, to um, the nerdy crew, to the musician crew. I mean, I really figured out a way, right? Even to the different kind of multicultural groups that were there, um, different sports groups. I mean, I was kind of all over the place. And I had, I mean, I was, I went from not really having an identity to being a part of um, two different sports groups and a, um, a dance team to, the um, APIB, which was like the advanced um, kind of, you know, cr crew to um, running like nerdy game crews to um, music groups. So like, you know, I kind of went around the horn, if you will. Mm. And, um, and I started to realize that I can manipulate a situation to, 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 to really get a high probability of achieving an outcome. Mm by just understanding what people, how they, how, how, how they receive things and how well they respond to certain stimulus. And, mm. and, I, and I think that got me on a dangerous path, frankly. Okay, so and, let's talk about that. Yeah, and so, you know, fast forward maybe a few years, I became very, you know, I think I, 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 I did well socially in high school and then I, when I went to university, I started to really use this, these skills, if you will, in my opinion, for um, the wrong purposes. And how I look at that is, for me personally, I look at the light, say, yin and yang as an example, or light and dark, differently than some. Whereas I think some people look at good and evil as the same as light and dark, let's say. Mm. Um, I don't, right? Mm. So I think there are tactics and intentions. So maybe social engineering or manipulating or becoming, going to someone and understanding how if you're very aggressive and you speak in this way that they may not respond well versus um, sizing them up and literally judging someone and saying how would I have to be to get the um, highest probability of, an, of a desired outcome which I really think is manipulating mm -hmm. and um, with an attention 
is some would say that's a very dark tactic, mm -hmm. not authentic tactic or whatever. Someone, you know, you, people can call that whatever you want. And I would use that in my opinion for, <clears throat> I didn't understand what my purpose was and have a clear idea of what I wanted to do. So it was kind of a loose cannon. I'd just be doing this, I'd be manipulating, I kind of lost my own identity, um, started to just kind of float around and just do things that I didn't realize, realize you know, why I was doing it and just mm -hmm. essentially assimilating and, and creating an identity of myself that wasn't really, I didn't have an intention for it. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden I have this image which took me a few years to figure out why like who I am and like why I'm this way. And, and, and I don't think it was constructive. It wasn't building anything. It wasn't giving back to certain people. It was just kind of a very vain lifestyle that got kind of got caught up in the wrong, the kind of the wrong crowd of people. Mm. So you had a basically a wake up moment. Yeah, I yeah. did. It took was me a it, few years. Was it, was it like a low point of your life? Was it, you know, or just literally a, a random morning and woke up and then you're like oh, it was shit. it was a uh, it was a new year's party mm -hmm. in 2010 2011 new year's where i'm just kind of looking around and it was just a fucking like a punch in the face like what am i doing here mm -hmm. you know and by all means in regards to the, what i had and from a kind of social point of view and the people a lot of people will look at that as oh like this is a very successful party or successful event i'm being a part of and i was like what am i doing mm -hmm. What value am I giving back to people? And um, and it kind of made me think about you know the difference was the joy that I thought I was giving to myself being a part of this decorate um, crew and people and kind of um, celebrities and you know high or from individuals and just kind of people just like with no real, like, why are you here and what are you doing with your time? And switching that to what joy have I given people today? So all in one day? In like one moment, yeah. All in one moment, yeah. Okay. That's a pivotal I'm question. I'm just kind of yeah. looking around mm. and it's like, what am I, like, why am I here? <laughs> you know, like, it's like I was talking to a bunch of people and then I'm just like kind of going to get water or whatever and then I'm just like, so what do I do now? Like, it was that conscious, like, manipulative like who do I want to go talk to what am I I'm very conscious you know and it's like I'm not just going to get a water and just standing by and just smiling and looking around you know like I'm literally thinking every minute now what now what now what I have and, and it's always an outcome there's always a desired outcome that I'm putting on mm -hmm. every minute and I'm trying to optimize to get to, to get that outcome mm -hmm. I want to go talk to this person I want to get this person to be involved in this I want to be able to this you know there's always something mm -hmm. and you were 18 at the time yeah, maybe 18 or 19. Hmm. How were you able to, so let me actually back, backpedal a little bit. Yeah. How were you able to maintain that high level of awareness? Because when things are good, yeah. it's easy to get drowned out in the, by the noise, right? People are coming at you, people want to do something from you, you, know, you're, you have something going on, you have a lot of relationships, just it's very noisy, right? But how were you able to maintain a high level of awareness such that you're actually watching everything going rather than just letting it I think it's just practice. Out? I think it comes down to that moment of just, hey, I bet you I can social engineer situations and then doing it and just taking in more data and just, and just it's kind of an addictive thing, right? It's like you start to do it and you start to think about it and then it's just like walking, you get better at it over doing it and doing it. So I think, 
um, my level of awareness just got better over the years and, my, and, and, and how efficient I was at engineering situations to, to, to kind of get to an outcome just got better and better. So I don't know if I, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's not like, oh, I'm tired now, I'm gonna stop doing that. It's just kind of an always on thing. Right, but I don't mean external awareness of the outside. I'm yeah. talking about internal awareness. Like, hey, this doesn't work for me anymore. Like, right. how did you maintain that high level awareness? I don't know inside? if I always did. And I think that was the problem. Mm. So I think giving like another example, I was always aware of like, okay, I want to go get this person. This person has, I don't know, a lot of influence, runs this business, has this, um, is a second degree relationship with so-and-so, which I could, you know, has a lot of influence or could be an investor or something like this, right? And I would just say, oh, I, I want to try to get that person in my circle so that if I ever needed something, if I ever wanted to tap into this, mm. then I could. Mm. And it was essentially that all over the place. Mm. And it was trying to build this network for the what if moment or like, oh, I could eventually tap into someone, mm. whatever, right? Could be athletes, could be, again, celebrities or investors or CEOs or someone that would, you know, some sort of influence. Mm-hmm. And I would just try to collect this, like collectibles, mm for the purpose and, and, and just because of like one day, mm. why not? That's an interesting game for you. Yeah. Mm. And then, and then I think to your point of the question of the internal, mm-hmm. that was the switch it was like, why am I collecting these relationships? Mm. You know, if you're looking at like a card game, why do I have all these? It's like, you just kind of can get lost in the motion of just, you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. Okay, I'm all oh, this person. I don't know this person. I'm gonna go introduce myself. I'm gonna try to add value to them and just try to, oh, you know, hey, let's stay in touch. Shoot you an email every month. But why? Again, why? Mm. And then all of a sudden, you have a thousand people that are in your sphere of influence. But what are you doing with that? What is mm. the purpose of that? Mm-hmm. And I focus so much on just building up this, rep, you know, this kind of repertoire, but I never had, um, I never figured out a reason why I needed it. So that was really the switch. Mm. Was so why do I want to go talk to this person? Like, what am I, the, the, the outcome, the, from the outcome of getting them to be in, in my network to switching that to why, what am I going to do with this person in my network? Mm. And I had no idea. Mm. And I think that comes with a lack of clarity of your purpose mm. and not knowing what you're trying to do. I didn't have an idea I think it was kind of this proxy mechanism to stay busy right. and sort of, instead of asking yourself the tough questions of why are you alive? Mm. And that was really the switch because I didn't know that. So I think to your, so I don't think I had that high level of internal awareness is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And that is what I try to now bring to the table, maybe called the phase that I'm in now is I try to check into this as much as I can. I don't have like a mechanism of a or like a reminder on a calendar of like rethink why you're alive. I think I just try to have more conversations like we're having in this moment mm-hmm. and try to have deeper level of discussions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I've always appreciated our friendship is that there's value there because by having more conscientious conversations, you're tapping into this muscle more and you're able to uh, kind of sharpen your worldview while learning things with one another. So a lot of people, especially in their 20s, especially after college actually, yeah. they ask this question, what is my purpose? Yeah. Or, and then they'll ask that question 
probably again after yeah. they get to their 40s right right their middle career somewhere probably right right probably and then they'll ask that question again after they about to retire yeah like that's the typical times where they ask these questions mm -hmm. so do you think that purpose is like a one static answer or do you think that is a continuously unfolding no it's always unfolding for sure yeah for sure i mean if you have a static purpose of it you're you're in a dangerous place mm. i mean how how could you every day you're receiving more data you're building a model you're checking your assumptions you're learning new things hopefully mm -hmm. <laughs> and, hopefully yeah. and if that's not changing your view on things then then there's a problem mm. So, so tell us a little bit about this unfolding of your clarifying your own purpose. Yeah, yeah. for sure. What, what, what it was before at yeah. eight, was it 18? Yeah, probably when we started meeting, right? And and it, was, it was this, I want to have global impact. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Why do I want to have global impact? So I think it started off with like, I, I, I think I can have impact. I didn't even know that word meant really. And then it started to go into, you know, in the next evolution, maybe the second phase of this, um, to I want to add value. It's kind of shifting the word impact to value, I think. Because to me, impact could be negatively positive. It just could be impactful. Right. It could be disruptive. That right. could be impactful, potentially. Mm -hmm. But I think value is more of a clear word for me. Mm -hmm. You know, value is, is is really what I've been trying to get into. Okay, so how do I add as much value as possible? And then I started to think, okay, well, why do they want to add value to someone? What's what's the purpose of adding value to someone? And I think where that went to became digging deeper and saying, well, if I could make someone happier, if I can make someone suffer less in their day to day, then that's the type of value I want to bring to someone. Just having value in, um, I can bring value maybe to someone's career to make them an extra dollar, but if they're, that dollar isn't necessarily, why do you want, you know, money is a, is a vehicle to achieve something. <clears throat> so going deeper, I got to the point where, where more where I am today is I want to reduce human suffering. And ultimately, that's the value that's the impact, if you want to go up a little bit, to why, um, uh, why I want to, why I want to impact and add value to people's life is so that I could make their life less, um, have less suffering in that and to have them have a more joyful, fulfilled purpose. Mm, beautiful. Do you want to get something? No. Okay. <clears throat> well, first I acknowledge you for having that clarity. It's a very noble purpose. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, that's, there's a whole other place we can go and say noble, we can say it's vain as well, selfish. I ultimately think it's selfish. Okay, let's talk about that for a moment. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in altruism? No. Or, no, okay. No, so I don't. I think ultimately why I'm choosing to reduce suffering is because that's going to make me think that I'm, to make me feel better. Mm -hmm. Giving back to someone makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make me feel bad, right? If I felt bad for it, then I, you know, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't do, do it. it. <laughs> so, but look, I think I don't know if it's a zero-sum game. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's I feel good because I'm giving back. So I'm, you know, shame on me. 
it's like why not great right it's a win-win exactly you know i think it's a philosophical discussion about this whole nature of altruism i'm with you i, I think it's kind what of it, you know it's kind of a stupid question really to me right who cares who cares yeah because ultimately it's about net net right if the intention right. is uh to me if i feel good doing this who cares if what the come from is yeah who cares if it's i feel good, good. It doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah, ultimately right. i'm giving right. somebody else that's right because of the the the, the actions that i take so call that whatever you want altruism not altruism right but that's great yeah hmm. so that positive net net is what we want as much as possible hmm. cool happy i'm okay i think yeah yeah <laughs> i got enough of that <laughs> okay all right, great. Continue then. So, so then, how do you? Because you're also CEO of a company, right? Yeah. And then you have fiduciary responsibilities. You have, you know, responsibilities to the people in your life. Really, let's mm-hmm. actually just be more generalized that way. Sure. When it comes to reducing suffering, do you? Let's see if I can ask this question in more in a way that 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 that's that's productive. Um, is it other people first and then then you or you first and then other people hmm. and let me actually unpack this balance bit. yeah okay yeah but if you want to unpack it you can i want to unpack it a little yeah. bit because <clears throat> for the people that have quote unquote noble right purposes in life yeah they're they're pitiful of that mm-hmm. they want to give so much mm-hmm. and yet they have nothing else left for themselves yeah. so they usually sacrifice their health usually sacrifice their sleep, usually sacrifice their nutrition or whatever. Yeah, sleep all the time. And all the time. And then that's a uh, very unsustainable way right. to do that. Right. And But flip it around, if someone is always focusing, yeah. let me focus on me. Right. And then it's about... Well, I think you never you know, this anyone. is what I'm good at. It's like, what's the outcome? Mm-hmm. And how do you engineer it backwards? Ultimately, if you're trying to focus on giving back, because that's what makes you feel good, (laughs) then I would say what is the most effective and efficient way for you to try to maximize your ability to give back. So I think it's you start with give back and then you optimize your tactics. And you should be thinking about maximizing value over your lifetime. Mm. And that's to, to do that, you have to have a sustained throughput. You can't have crashes, you can't have um, lack of energy, you can't have things come up and you know you have to look at it over a longer lens of time because ultimately value is over a period of time. Mm. You could have one year of a lot of value but then if the rest of your life you're not adding value, then the, the lifetime value of what you've done is less than someone who had a less, you know, a more sustained, let's say. So I think it's ultimately, What's it gonna to take to maximize it? And I have not seen any individual that focuses and has a very value-driven individual that just focuses on short-term gains or, or, or getting through these crunches. So to get it back into what the, your example, people that don't take care of their health, <clears throat> people who don't make sure they're mentally healthy, people who don't spend enough time with their own personal self and their responsibilities, whether it be family or whether it be um, personal health or personal mental health, spiritual health, then you are going to be affected in the longer term. Mm. So it's that right balance because then again, I see a lot of people too 
On the other end, I see both sides. People that just focus all day on the output and they're all behind on work and you continue to be in this rat race forever and you're never able to just do oh, one more deadline, one more this, get this out, get this out, and you're in that rut for 10 years. And as people on the other side who just try to just focus on philosophical, oh, I'm gonna build my base up and you know, I'm gonna keep working on myself and I'm not ready yet. <laughs> I'm not mm -hmm. ready to go and start a business. I'm not ready to, to become a founder. I got it, this, this, and that. You're never ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's actually the, the thing to remember because as I'm academically trained. Yeah. Right, so, and you know me well enough. Yeah. My tendency is to want to line up everything, right. all the ducks in a row. Yeah, it is. And then, uh, then I'll do something, but it, it never happens. That's right. You know, even if it happens, it That's only right. happens for a nanosecond, and right. all the ducks would be off. And to use the framework, it's well. There's a certain level of, call it, everyone's different how they learn. For you, you're definitely more of the academical. You get a lot of value in preparation, right? And I necessarily am not that way. And but there's value in the preparation. There's value of failing. You know, trying something, failing, learning from it, trying it again. Mm. And I'm on that camp pretty aggressively. So I think everyone's different. And I think, you know, if I never prepare, if I never learn, if I never take a step back and I look at other things, then I think that's a pitfall for me. And I think for you, it's, you can get, um, you know. Analysis paralysis. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so let's get, get down to tactical. Because yeah. I don't want to just have a philosophical <clears throat> conversation and people are inspired by yeah. your narrative. But I also want people to not only get inspired, but can learn the yeah. specific tactics that you do to strike that balance, right? That, that harmony. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the disciplines that you have or the habits that you have as a way to both do and also think? Like set up your day for yeah, a sustainable I think, output, for sure. throughput that you set. I think it's about creating habits. Okay. And it's about discipline. That's the underlying tactics that I use to go about everything that I do. And you have to choose a couple things. Focus, discipline, habits, right? Those are the things that I really probably best describe my tactics and how I approach my life. So what's the focus? I only focus on a few things. For me, um, health is one of them. So I unpack health, which with its, um, it being uh, energy, being your diet, being your physical activity, your spiritual, mental health, all of that I kind of put into the bucket. And tactics that I do for that is waking up at the same time every day early, having a routine, finding something, a physical activity that you can build skills upon. So not just, oh, I'm gonna run today and bike today and climb today and do a class today because you're not really building skill sets. Mm. I like to build to focus on something that I could build and be competitive with, which is kind of killing two birds with one stone. But you can go do something active every day. But if you're not bettering yourself in something, then you kind of lose something in my opinion. So um, personally, I've been doing CrossFit, Olympic lifting as my focus. Why did you pick that? Because you have many, many options. Yeah, Why did you pick well, that one I think inherently I like those two because especially the CrossFit side, because it brings in a lot of variety already, and it's very measurable, it's very competitive, and it's very intense. So workouts are measurable, it's certain weights, certain times, certain number of reps that you have to do that you can compare yourself against other people, and then you can track your progress. So it's very ROI-driven and it's measurable. And then if you're able to measure how your physical output is, then you'll take that habit and it kind of will, it will correlate into everything else that you do. 
So there's these added benefits of not just kind of think of it like if health is a vertical pillar, the the intensity and the measure everything you do is a horizontal tenet that will go across other things like my professional life. So if I'm honing in on the, uh, on the discipline and I'm honing in on the measurability and the intensity, then when I go and I finish my morning routine and I go to the professional life and I'd be able to, I've already sharpened those skills and I'm going to want to reuse that and measure my own self and work and measure my teams in that way and measure our output, measure our mission and to be able to have the intensity and the wherewithal to do what's necessary and to be able to use that as a competitive edge in the marketplace against your competition and um, to use that as a, as a tool to inspire others is something that I also get out of it. So I can go and do some yoga that which I love, but something that is, and there's all kinds of different yoga, I mean, it's, but more of the traditional, more meditative, slower paced yoga, whereas that's gonna give you a lot of things more like mindfulness and more things like um, uh, mobility, which is very important, it's part of my life as well, but you won't, to me, that's less valuable or less attributable also into your work life and other things. For me, the competitiveness, the intensity, and the measurability that you get from CrossFit is very valuable in a professional career. Mm. What other tactics, what other disciplines do you have? So I like to minimize the amount of decisions that I make every day. So I call that the, uh, the decision fatigue. I've had people call me an asshole for even talking about concepts of decision fatigue. I find it funny. But it's true, right? And, it, and it's I when you make a lot of decisions, micro decisions. I've I've seen how that has added tax to my to my life, and that's something that drags down my energy levels, which is mm. very important to me. Mm. So, the decision fatigue is: what am I going to eat today? What am I going to wear today? Um, you know, where am I going to go for lunch? Is when I see all the time of people, and so I don't really care about that. For me, I look at food as fuel. I look at what I'm wearing as to be practical. Um, to be comfortable, to, 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 to just have that be a decision that I don't want to think about what I'm wearing or what I'm eating or where I'm going and to, to have that be automated is very important. So I subscribe to meal plans, whether it be a service or finding someone that you can have um, or cooking for yourself and doing that on Sunday or subscribing to a service, all kinds of ways to do that. Having it delivered to the office, I'm looking at it right now, of my, of my food in my refrigerator. <clears throat> That's a great tactic um, to, to just kind of focus on wearing, some, you know, less things and I buy in bulk and if I enjoy a t-shirt and I'll just buy 10 of them and, and, and I don't want to have the 100 different things that I'm wearing and focusing on that because what value am I generating from, from, from that? Mm. I, don't, I don't see any incremental value of focusing on, you know, fashion to me is a very, very vain concept. Oh, interesting. Hmm. I know that you've been trying to tell me about uh, getting my own food, uh, the, the, the prep meal service yeah. for a long time. Yeah, yeah. For a long time I kept saying no because of various reasons, the cost, right. the time, right. the all excuses, whatever. Yeah. And I tried it and holy crap, it's such a, <laughs> such a, <laughs> such a gift, it's yeah. such a blessing. Yeah. Because anytime that I right. want it, it's right there. I don't need to right. like... You're hungry, then you're just here. Right, I'm hungry, within three minutes I have my food. You have an now, extra hour back. Right, now, now is it... It's, is it maximized in terms of nutrition, in terms of taste? Yeah. It's not. It's yeah. not maximized. However, is it, it's optimized. Right. Because if I need it, it's, it's right there. Well, I think maximize is, 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 a, 
and I, I don't know if I agree with you because it's what are you maximizing? Right. It comes down to why do you look at what is your purpose of food? Mm. If you're maximizing how tasty mm. it is, and when you're chewing your 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 the mouth pleasure, your mouth okay. If you want to optimize the mouth pleasure, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, you maximizing mean, right. Um, I mean, some actually people that are driving an hour to go to lunch to some random ass place, you know, in LA, far away, sitting in traffic <laughs> to go eat something for an hour, having a food coma, driving back another hour, it's like three hours in a, in a coma later, mm. but you got that mouth pleasure. Mm. Is it worth it? Right. Well, I, I mean, it's I'm up to the individual, right. not to me. Yeah, same here. So uh, after, what was that celebrity chef who committed suicide? Uh, he had a show. Uh, yeah, um, uh, Path Unknown, Place Unknown. Um, Bourdain. Bourdain, right. So after his passing, yeah. I started watching his show just right. as a way to like, hey, what makes this guy special? Right. I was inspired by him. But as a result of that, I also drove an hour just to try out some of the restaurant. Right. And I realized the payoff, the mouth pleasure, didn't wasn't didn't warrant whatever time right. effort. And like I think there's a time and place for everything. You know, I mean, special occasions and experience. You're with certain kind of people. That's one thing. The experience with people around something that it, it, it versus a routine is very different. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Any other uh, disciplines that you wanted to to share? You know, that gave you a really high ROI for the level of throughput. You know, yeah. Just use your word. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think making sure you look at how you're spending your time has been something that I've done from the very beginning. And, and it's a funny one because when, frankly, when, I, when you ask me these questions, it's not easy for me to, the most impactful, highest, ROI habits that I think I have are so ingrained in me that it's just like air, right? Like for me, the food concept is is, is so just, I forget about it. It's like, I forget that now everyone does that, right? And like the same thing with the health thing. So some of these things that I do are just so common, like putting on your underwear or putting on socks. It's like, I don't think about it and it's just important. So that's why I kind of pause, but I would say the time thing is one of those where I put everything in my calendar and I make, uh, I make everything, um, I, I make everything measurable so that on a weekly level, usually on Sundays, I'll look at my last week and I'll see how I spent my time and I'll see how that attributes to what I'm, what I'm trying to get done. And then I will try to better plan my following week and remove, I mean, I probably remove so many meetings and distractions in an upcoming week that I've just been slotted just because it was slotted two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I'm like, is this important for me to do? Either move those or cancel those or um, adding in new things that come about so that I can really plan on a week to week level versus being so reactive on a daily or even hourly level of what I got to do and have that discipline to be thinking about those intentions. So be more purpose-driven and thoughtful regarding how you're spending your time on a weekly level and looking and doing a little bit of a retrospective on how your last week went and then planning forward. And that's something that I've done very for probably 10 years. And one of the things that I've always found interesting with people, <clears throat> not, or not really in my circle, but 10 years ago when I was starting to do this, and when I started to ask around, and everyone has, 
the, the, the intention, or not everyone, but most people which want to be, let's call it successful. They want to have financial security. They want whatever goals they have. Some intentions they have. Yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. Oh, I want to be rich. I want to have a lot of money. I want to have a company. I want to, have, I want to be an influencer. I want to have social media followers. You know, all this crazy shit. And then, okay, let's, let's, just, let's just fancy them for a second. And I'll say, so how did you spend your day yesterday? And they'll be like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, we'll just break it down. What time did you wake up? Well, I woke up at nine and I, um, I went to breakfast, drove somewhere for some food, uh, and then I came back. I, um, you know, I watched some TV and then I went to work from my shift from 10 to five and you know whatever it is some something some whatever their day job is and then i came home and then i played some games and i went on social media and then i went and i um met up with a friend then i went to happy hour and it's like and then and then i go to bed late it's like wait so wait so what did you do in that day to go against everything you said with, with, with what your goals are, you know? And it's funny because it's so discrepant. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and it, it's, it's sad, because mm -hmm. it's delusional. Mm. Oh, I, I mean, let's just take this example of trying to become a founder of a company. Let's mm -hmm. just say that's a goal. Yeah, and then it's an American you, dream. And right, yeah. I guess so. And, and then you ask someone how I spent their time, and it's, and it's very sad, because... What makes it sad? Because they they they're they're they don't have the consciousness to understand that they're not doing anything towards those goals, and they'll have this goal for thirty years. And I see people in their forties and fifties, mm -hmm. they just become very bitter of like, what did I do with my life? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, you just had a day that I just described, mm -hmm. right? A a more practical example of that is is I woke up at five a.m and i spent an hour to work out i and then i got to work you know i figured out a job that i can do to pay the bills from 7 a.m or 8 a.m until 4 or 5 and then i figured out a way to maintain my energy levels by being healthy and eating the right way and then i started my second shift from 5 to 10 or 11 my second seven or eight hours a day into something that's very deliberate towards building towards our dreams you're not hanging, you're not going to happy hour, you're not playing video games, you're not on Facebook for an hour, you're not um, driving around and get lunch. These things add up. Mm -hmm. And you have an entire second part of your day that you can be really building towards your, your, your vision. And that, this makes a difference. How you're spending your weekend time is very important. Mm -hmm. it, takes, it just takes time. It takes 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week to be able to do any of what most people have as a goal. And they don't spend the time to do it, and it's a scrap it, and then they get sad, and then they suffer mm. to get to the point of the mission that we're discussing. They suffer. They add suffering to their life because they get upset. Oh, I'm not making progress. Oh, I'm not. Um, you know, five years goes by, and then they wonder what they're doing, and they get these crises, and they suffer. And it's sad to see them suffer. And it's just because they don't. They're not. They're not. They're wasted. They're throwing away their time. They're not mismanaging it. Hmm. Yeah, I feel you. I also feel them. Right. Yeah, I do. I want the best for them. And it's either you need, you know, my opinion is you either need to reorient yourself and come to reality that you don't want to start a company. You're just saying this because you, 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 you're, it's a vain, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, oh, I want to be successful. 
because it's just been ingrained in you in this Western society, let it go. What you're saying is you want to just, you want to be on Facebook. You want to um, go have mouth pleasure. You want to um, play video games and you want to be working a mindless job. That's fine. That's what you just don't be discrepant. Mm. Own up to it and say, this is what I want to do in my time. Mm. Then great. Good for you. Mm. Either. So just, you need to align your tactics with your intentions. And that's the mm. point. Just have the conscientious to understand this is what you want to do. You want to go party every night? Okay, it's up to you if that's how you want to spend your time. Just, but don't, don't lie to yourself. That's mm. all you have is your integrity with yourself. I mean, you know. Mm. I mean, what you just said is it's it's true. You know, have integrity with with yourself. Most of most first and foremost. And yes, and that's the problem is that most people. And look, it's not a it's not because they're not trying to. It's because they're not aware. Mm. It's a simple exercise. Mm. Ask someone what they want, what their intention is, what their goals are, what your career, whatever, the, and then ask them what the time is today, and then do the math and plot it. How much time did you spend on this? It's unbelievable. There's a yeah, lot of time in the day. For sure. If you look at, so one of the easiest way to, to see what people are truly committed to right. is look at their time, yes. their calendar, and yeah. also look at their, their spending habits, their credit card statements. For sure. Because that's what we have. That's right. The limited resource that we have. Right. You can get more complex and get into energy. Right. But yeah, that's a that's but roughly a, that's, speaking, a, that's an easier framework. Energy you can't see. Yeah. That's right. That's an easier framework. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let me actually ask this a separate question. Sure. Because you hang around with a lot of achievement-oriented people. Yeah. Right. Do you feel that actually achieving your goals makes one more happy, or because there is a phrase that sometimes more grief is caused by answer prayers than unanswered ones mm-hmm. right sometimes you're grasping the goal so tightly yes that you don't achieve it oh shit uh, my life is shit because I didn't achieve yeah being Look, a founder or whatever for sure mm-hmm. for sure I'll give you a concrete example okay there are, when I was probably I had a financial goal when I was 16 15 whatever that I hit when I was 22 and when I hit it, it was the most disappointing thing I've ever done. <laughs> so say more about that. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, look, it was just this, it was a vanity metric. It was a vanity goal, right? It was, yeah, I want this. And to me, this is what success can look like. And it just was nothing of that. It was such a letdown. Mm. And it was like, again, to the why do you want to have these series of numbers in your bank account, okay, you look at is it for security, is it for this, but ultimately that's not that's not that's not what I optimize for. Again, what I always had deep inside was at the time when I was twenty one or two, it still it still was this exponential impact and and then I went to the value and then I went into the um, the suffering, right, to reduce suffering, which is where I'm at today. And that goal did not achieve anything directly correlated to reducing suffering. Mm. There is no bridge. There wasn't. I mean, like you could take some assets to help you get there. Don't get me wrong, but that is a proxy, mm-hmm. and it wasn't activated. It was just again, it was like this, the kind of the same idea of getting to have someone in your network. But if you're not activating, you're not realizing any value. What does it matter? Mm-hmm. You can know the most important, influential person in the world, but if you're not generating any value from that, it's the worst. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of cards stacked for you. It's, it's, what are you the wor- use it's it actually for? the worst. Right. It's the worst feeling in the mm. world. 
Because mm. it's more about that. What was it the worst? It's just the worst because it's better to have no assets or, or it's like you have all this potential that's mm. unrealized. That's the point. You realize you have these assets and these potentials, and unrealizing it to me personally is the worst. Mm. The worst feeling. It's one thing to strive for something, right? Right. There's a hope, right? Once I get it, then right. I'll be able to activate right. it. That's but right. now that you have it, that's right. Then it's not so activated. It's vanity. It's again, you got to get to understanding what you're really trying to do. And it's hard. Don't get me wrong. You can always go why, figure out what you want, and ask five whys. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to make this. Why? Because of okay. Why? 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 Just go deep as you can, and then, then try to try to stay there. And there's always other levels. There's always deeper levels, and there's always unpacking levels, and you're getting clarity. But that's that's the best thing you can do, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's what makes life beautiful. Because、yeah. ultimately, once you you figure out quote unquote the answer, you have everything that you need. Yeah. There's no more questions. Right. And it's boring. Yep. <laughs> Why would you want a life with no questions? Yep. To me, I'm I'm big on questions. I'm so curious about. About what's the what's the next level?、Yep. Um, so on that note, what kind of、um, let's actually ask a broader question because you not only do it personally,、mm-hmm. you also have a circle of people around you. You also have you know staff or employees who works for you. Yeah. By the social way, structure. By、right? the way, the 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 friend question I think you should ask because I have I have I have a good one on that one. I think. The, friend the friendship question. question. Yeah, I was gonna ask you. Okay, cool. Oh, the fr- what makes your best friend your best yeah, friend? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay.、Cool. So.、Yeah. All right, coming back to the question. Yeah. So you're not just responsible for yourself. You're、right. responsible for your family, right?、Mm-hmm. You're responsible for your your friends.、Mm-hmm. You're responsible for your employees. Well, let's start off with、um, this question: What makes your best friends your best friends? So, to me, what I appreciate the most with friends is number one, the level of communication. So, when you're talking about any concept, how deep can you go, and how fast? How fast can you get to that level? So, when you're getting into a philosophical question and you're having a conversation of value, let's say, ultimately, like the framework is, if we have a half an hour discussion, if we spend a half an hour together, in leaving that discussion, what was the net net value that we generated? Can we take anything? Because there any breakthroughs or discoveries that you can take to add on to yourself to change your worldviews or to add value to a new a new tactic or a new question to ask yourself or anything that can add value to the way that you interpret the world from both sides, right? Again, it's not just it, it, it's the net net on both sides. So if just if it's just a one directional coaching, 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 it's like there's some benefit there. But if we can bounce ideas off each other and And get to that point of net net value add, then that's very impactful for me, and I really appreciate that. And then the question is, is how fast can you get there? Because some people can spend ten hours and come up with one discovery, but how deep can you get the shared understanding, the verbiage when you're talking about something, and be able to link things in the patch and the attention to detail when you're talking about things that's very fleeting or very like woo woo. Right, and it's like, can you grasp these concepts? Can you create these these archetypes and these symbolisms? And can you have a shared consciousness? How quickly can you get there?、Mm. And how quickly can you generate and challenge each other and add value to these questions?、Mm. To me, that's where I look at my greatest friendships. It comes from that. 
Yeah, and it's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. Yeah. Because I enjoy this type of conversations. That's great. And I like long for them and yeah. not everyone's ready to, to no. dance with me in, no. in this way. So Especially so you. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Especially me, yes. Yeah. Okay, so, so socially speaking though, do you have, I suppose, different pockets of friends or do they all know each other or yeah, there's, there's, do they all complement each other? I think there's pockets, but it's not intended to be like compartmentalizing. I think it's just, it just happens, right? Um, I would say, I'll have to be honest, I mean, I've had different friends over the years, especially, and I think as most relationships happen, some relationships grow apart. And just, there's different values you take on, there's different intentions, there's different goals, and, and that's fine. And, and for me, I think some people have different opinions here. Some people I've seen judge this in certain ways, and you know, but if you're having a friendship for you know your childhood friendship or 10 years ago best friend or whatever and it just starts to not it just starts to go another way and they will bring on different habits and they'll do different things and different your values start to tear apart there's some level of repair or some level of 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 of, of effort you want to put into to that but for me, I'm not someone who's gonna throw the kitchen sink at trying to re- rehabilitate a relationship if it's not organic anymore, if it's not authentic and you have to do all this work and there's no net-net benefit. Mm. So so I think that's what kind of happens with these social circles is that some people will grow away from each other and that's fine. I don't have any issue with that personally. I wish the best for them people, but I don't continue to bring people through. It's kind of it's part of life. There's different periods of times in which you'll go through and I, I've had a lot of close friends over the years and they're in different places and I'm in different places and we'll may stay in touch once a year or something like that and that's great and that's more of a kind of a um, touching base but you know I don't, I don't go out of my way to spend time into that if I don't think there's mutual value generation to the same point of how I defined my closest friends. Mm. Okay, so how do you translate this to running a company? Because a lot of people are very purposeful in their, in their personal life yeah. and they want to bring this into their business life. And you're very intentional about bringing this purposefulness into the business. Can you kind of break it down for the people who are listening to, to this? How do yeah, you translate this? It's change over stages too. Okay. Right. Um, when you're bringing in your founding team members to when you're getting to 20 people to, to, to 50, to 100 so break it down for us. to 150 I yeah. think it's all very different plus right mm-hmm. growing more than that and in the in the very early days at least how we went about it it was finding people that have very strong shared sense of values and mission and very much a shared worldview and there and, and there's benefits to that where it's very quickly to make decisions that you're on, always on the same page there's no dilution in communication and there's it, 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 it becomes a very powerful small elite seal team that can generate something that is very impactful and that throughput is very high now in my personal opinion i've seen at least even ourselves our ability with eight like eight to 15 people, the throughput that you can generate just from the lack of dilution and just each, a very shared, let's say, a lack of diverse worldviews in this instance can be very effective in delivering a very simple focused mission. Hmm. 
And at least in our company, I saw that throughput of that small team be able to probably generate more throughput than when we got to 40 or 50 even. But the investment to go there was to reorient ourselves and to create a different foundation, whereas we could take on 10x the customer base. So that group of eight to 15 may be the most effective at delivering, this is compartmentalized it to say, we, we use customers as, a, as an example. Right. You know, 25 enterprise customers, it started to break down when we got to say 50. So we had to be a little bit less efficient on the unit economics if we wanted to get to 100. So it's an investment for the future. So that's kind of how I saw our company grow in these, in these tranches and it becomes very different operational. You're bringing in middle management, you're bringing in more process, you're bringing in different diverse views, different approaches, and that's something that we did. And it was a, lot, a big learning experience for me because I go from this very intense, everyone thinks about the world in the same way, to how you scale a business, you need to bring in diversity. You need to bring in different types of um, worldviews and you need to have that be less, you know, it's more about risk management as you grow and as you get more customers and how you bring in more process. And so the culture, I had to start to find cultural champions that, and leaders that still share a, a common foundation of values and missions and the universe, you know, so say we had, say there's 10 core ways to look at the world, rather than having a 10 out of 10, have, well, what are the real core five? Mm. What are the things that we always want to have and then have each leader bring in additional couple extra points that they localize for maybe engineering. Their own flavor. Sale. Correct, their yeah. own flavor. So mm -hmm. rather than making it so much of a cesspool of thinking, cesspool. Um, <laughs> you need to have a, still a common ground so mm -hmm. you don't have just a non-culture. Yeah, yeah. But you need to make the tough decisions and what you're really willing to say, well, this, is, this is what we stand for. And now I'd say now it gets to even less from 10 to five to three, mm. you know? And maybe, and, and, and then, so I think that's how you scale. And that's kind of where I personally can say at least VideoAmp has, has, has gone. Can you tell a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about your personal kind of growth process in when you're scaling the company? Did mm -hmm. you have to grow personally? Yeah. Yeah, and it was always delayed. Say more about that. Yeah, it, it's, it's, I didn't. I think I've heard this. I've had people tell me these things, but it just didn't click. It just always was three or six months later until I realized the stage that we're in. So the company's been growing pretty quickly, thankfully, and faster than I realized. So that's that's kind of where it is. And then all of a sudden things are going great, and then just like one week, things are not, and things are dropping, and the more clients that we can support, and the assumptions of the unit economics of one one pod of this can support three customers. All of a sudden not can't anymore because the customer base is very different and you know things like that just happens and it's uh, and, it, and it's hard to stay ahead of everything so there's been some reactive phases whereas i need to look at the data and and reflect what's my role in the organization for i can't dive in and solve all these problems i can't be in every client meeting i can't make every product decision and those are the things that you learn that you have to figure out when's the right time to scale when's the right time to um, to give more control and to give more ownership to other people in the company and what that what are the things that you need to keep still what what decisions do you have to make and then what decisions can you empower others to make mm. and those are the things that you have to check in on and I don't think I've made all the right calls over the years I think it's developed and I've tried to look at 
certain things and I make bets and maybe sometimes they work, sometimes they don't and you have to refactor and you just look at the data and you got to be open-minded. Look at the right KPIs in the company. What are the important metrics you want to look at, see how they're trending, have an open conversation about why they're not and re reassess. Maybe I should have instead of made those, those product decisions, maybe I should have longer time decided the roadmap, but I should have given up sales meetings earlier so it wasn't a bottleneck there. Or maybe we should have figured out a way to change our client services versus this and that, you know. So, okay, so you, you, you said a lot of terminologies, right? <laughs> so not, maybe not everyone would be able to understand that. Can you concretize that just a little bit? Just demonstrate one example mm -hmm. of where you had to uh, shift your mindset about, for example, control, right? As the CEO of a company, this is your baby, as this, this, you know, this is, you had to, well, let go of some control, whether it be product decisions or- Yeah, look, I mean, I whatever. think the product one's easy to okay. just give an example. So from, call it the beginning, you know, phase one, whereas you're literally in a room and you're making one main product with a couple main experiences and screens where you're deciding how the user interacts and what buttons you press and the, and the screen flow, if you press this button and you go here in the software and then you press this button and you go here in the software and no, no, let's answer these questions, let's make a graph look like a bar chart versus a line graph, have this kind of experience, these kind of, right, even down to the colors to then maybe a phase two of like, okay, I don't need to decide the color scheme anymore. I can empower a designer to make that call and give them the values or her the values in regards to what we want and then to be empowered to do that to not get in the way to getting to the next stage of saying, okay, now you have multiple products. So you need to talk about the right questions these products need to answer and you can't even wireframe it. You can't talk about the screens. You need to say in this quarter, we need to have these products or these features rather do this so I want a better I want a better experience to um, manage permissions for a for enterprise software and it should look like this and these features should have the ability to have read only here to have write only here to be able to have enterprise control so they can't see this they can see this screen from different levels of the organization as an example and it should answer these questions so creating use cases and user stories in regards to what features they should ask as call it a phase two versus actually wireframing out right. exactly the thing. Focus on the, the, uh, the forest rather than right. specific trees. Right. And then you go to the phase three, whereas now you have to just talk about the product mm -hmm. and say, hey, in this sprint or in this, in, this, in this quarter, the product needs to be able to support 100 customers, you know, 10 times the amount of customers that needs to be able to add more value in saving our clients money, for example. And so, then, then, then having the team be able to figure out which features and then what, what, what features, what, what questions those features have to answer and what they do, and then the wireframing and the color palette, to then even going further, talking about the entire portfolio from a revenue perspective. So, th so this is an example of going from making a decision of the color all the way to a company goal yeah. and empowering an SVP to a VP to a director to a manager to the team to make those individualized decisions. So let me actually ask a, a more more of an internal game question. Sure. Because you're, you're a very hands-on CEO. You can yeah. get, get down to the trenches yeah. with the guys easily, Definitely. right? With the colors and the Definitely. designers yeah. and all that, with the specific engineering choices and right. all that, right? So my, my guess would be, how does it, hmm, how do you cultivate this trust in your team? 
Because you may be able to say to yourself, like, hey, I could have done that even better. Like all the time. Why did you make that shit choice? All the time. Right. So then, so then, but but part of the your mental game that needs to be changed is well, then I delegated. I entrusted yep. them. So then. Well, that's look, challenging. So, so that's exactly. Well, that's if you go back to your question, like two or three questions ago, that's exactly the challenge that I'm saying is hard to do. You never know at which point you want to delegate and hold them accountable versus saying, I want to make this. So let, 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 me, let me just ask, let me answer your question with a question. And there's no one size fit all, so don't ask. It's just, you have to every time try. And there's no framework that I've come across to solve this. But when, you, when anything comes up, you have to make a decision. Either entrust my team, give them as much context and set up what success looks like and let them go out and do that when you may have a probability of what that's going to look like and if it's going to be successful or failure versus saying, I I'm going to have to make the call and do it my way versus do it their way. And the pro, very, there's a lot of pros and cons, but simply said, the, 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 let's say the pro of making your own call may be that you have a higher chance of success in that individual one-time discovery this feature may be better this particular function this particular function maybe yeah. if you're if you truly are more qualified mm. right versus letting your team take a stab at it and let's just say you have as an individual as a founder ceo you may have 90 percent because you know the customer better you've been doing this longer or whatever versus your team has a 65 percent chance of success for this individual function that 65%, if you continue to make your own calls, your team will never be able to learn from their own mistakes and reorient that, which is very powerful. So maybe that 65% goes to failure. You saw that, you could have stopped it, but you decided not to so that that team can learn and then the next time it goes to 70 or 75%. Mm. And you have the right framework and measurement of success and accountability where you're checking in on a weekly basis and say, well, what happened here, right? Mm -hmm. What did you learn what from you this? Learn from How do you make this better? And you have to hold them accountable to that process. And sometimes there are decisions where are too risky, that are too, in, that, that are, how do you make a call? Because the benefit of your team learning from a very big fuck up is very valuable if they learn from it. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not it, a fuck up and they learn something from it. Well, right, but what are, what are lethal fuck-ups and what are mm -hmm. fuck-ups that you can take a hit from? Mm -hmm. And what's that continuum? Mm -hmm. And every single decision you make is different. Mm -hmm. And then you don't even know what can be lethal. Something that you thought may, wouldn't be lethal. Oh, they can, they can screw up. Some other thing that you didn't know could happen, and it could be a lethal fuck-up. Mm -hmm. So you have to make a gut check with all the data you have as a risk call, say, long-term versus we can't afford to do this. And, and, and that's the bit, in my opinion, that's a very large burden on any leader mm. is you have to know when to entrust your team and when you make the call mm. because you can't always make the call and sometimes you have to be able, there's too much on the line to have it be a learning exercise. Mm. Well, you, 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 so one of the angel investors that I talked to, He's a super angel and he recommends to all entrepreneurs or, or aspirational, aspiring entrepreneurs to think probabilistically. And mm -hmm. I think everything you just said actually demonstrated really well. 65% chance of winning, 35% right. and etc. So how does one uh, go about training oneself to think probabilistically? Well, it's just trial and error yourself. 
like 90 versus 65, like how do you know off the right percentages versus it being, <laughs> it, you can go the other way. I've seen other people that think they're at 90 and they're really at 40 and their team's at 70, but then they have all this ego in the way mm. where they think they're making the right call. And it's like, no, you're not. You're not even know what you're talking about. And you, and you see that and you have teams everywhere in the world where their manager, they don't respect the manager. They don't make the right calls. They, you know, they, they, don't, they don't believe in it. The, 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 the CEO gets so far removed from what's actually, you know, in reality, of what the actually is going on in the business. And I've seen, and you get so much complaints about that. Okay, you know? so let's actually unpack that just a little bit. So it just depends, so, so, but, but before that, like mm-hmm. the probability is you have to just have self-awareness and you have to let your ego go away and you have to, looking at the 100 decisions that happened in the last two weeks and make a model. And every day, orient yourself. Just risk management. Mm. It's trial and error. How do you not let your ego get in the way? Because you're obviously a very confident person. You believe in yourself. You believe in the people that you have surround yourself with. It's easy. It's very easy. You okay, need to, so say more about it because it's not easy. It's very easy. Okay, you need more. to set up measurable goals and you A-B test. Mm. Bottom line, what does success look like? That's it. You draw it out. You write it down. You try it two ways. You come back and you see what worked better. That's it. If your ego is more successful every time, then great. Let your ego get in the way. Mm. Who cares if you're egotistical, if you're driving those values and you're adding more value to the customer? What's your goal? And optimize the input. It's set the output, optimize the input. Okay, so let's, let's talk about perhaps maybe not in the business sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe on the personal sense, mm-hmm. right? When you deal with your, your loved ones, sure. your wife, your parents, sure. right? These are... You know, people say you think you're enlightened and spend a weekend with your parents, right? Right. As an, as an example, right. how do you how do you make sure that you personally, your ego is not engaged when you're especially interacting with people that, you know, it's really important for you. Well, so I mean, when I say let your ego get in the way, what I'm really more saying is let the best tactic win. I understand that. Right. So, and when I'm, what, what I'm referring to ego is that, like your opinions, right? Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're, when people say your ego's getting in the way is when you're truly are optimizing for your personal self gratitude over the best outcome. Mm. That's how I see it. I see. So the point is the fact of measuring an output and being, and, 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 and just standing and being measured, being measure, measurable driven. I see. Is, the, is how you get that out because ego gets in the way when you make a decision that truly isn't the best outcome. I see. For some other alternative reason, you're feel good. I see, Got So it. if it's not your idea mm. and it's someone else's idea, but, it's, but, it, but it achieves the better desired outcome, then, then have, didn't go with that input. I see. So let me, let me make sure I understand what you say. So basically you said, just run experiments. Have right. a clear defined outcome that you're looking for. Correct. And then option a option b correct whichever whether it's coming from your selfish intentions or other people's input or whatever right whatever hit that uh, the outcome that you're looking for that is the right way focus on the output of the input Mm. and do that Mm. and that's the point people when ego gets in the way you're 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 bringing some of the input into the formula Mm. well this was my input so even though it was a less of an output I'm gonna still choose mine because it's my idea. Right. Because this is how I feel, or this is because it makes me feel better. Like, who cares? Mm. 
Interesting. It just depends if someone's focusing on the input or the output and do you have a clear defined desired outcome that you're trying to achieve. Mm. So it, it's a mindset. Do you go into situations thinking about the tactics or the outcome? Mm. Do you say, oh, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to go and spend more time with my family, for example, right? Why do you want to spend more time with your family? That's, that, that is a, so I'm going to spend, I'm going to come to work, I'm going to leave work an hour early today to spend two extra, to, to spend two extra hours with my family or whatever, two extra hours. Leave work two hours to get two hours. Mm-hmm. That's a tactic. Mm. Got it. If your family tells you, come, 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 leave work, come early, spend more time with me, mm. and you go, I gotta spend more time with my family, that is a tactic, that's an input. Right. What are they trying to deliver? You're trying to get, and I'm gonna give an example. Sure. What I think is very common, people get, people think about time, as a, it depends on input, the output is um, relatedness, it's experiences, it's a shared, um, spending quality, um, you know, bonding real time, um, mindfulness with your family, something that you can really, a special, you know, there's always those dinners where you're just quiet and no one's talking and you're just eating and you go and someone's on their phone and you're watching TV. It's like you left work two hours early for what did you get out of that? that mm-hmm. If anything, that's a negative, like the more time you spend with people that isn't really valuable and isn't really impactful or deliberate, mm. is not only not adding the value you want, but could be seen as a negative. Right. You're getting desensitized. Mm-hmm. Versus, I'm going to spend every minute very deliberate, and I'm going to be present. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be on my phone. I'm not going to be taking a call. And when I'm home, I'm home. And I'm going to give it my all. And I've seen very successful entrepreneurs, CEOs, women and men that are very busy and are able to say no to the, 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 the easy inputs Mm. and are saying but look look maybe I'm just using time as an example and it's not always the way it is but it's easy to it's an easy one in my opinion to articulate I'm gonna stay late Friday night to get out all the stuff done because I know it's gonna pop up on say Saturday or Sunday or I'm gonna come to work early on a Saturday so I can spend the second half of Saturday and all day Sunday as an example or or I'm gonna do a work trip that I get home late Saturday so I can be you know home on Sunday versus spending Saturday and Sunday and you go to your kid's game and you're on the phone, you're not really watching, you're not engaging, you're not coaching, or you got emails coming and you got to take fires out, you're leaving. That is, you're there, but are you really there? Right. You're there, you're not there. You're not there. Right. So, so to me, I'd rather spend five hours of quality, like you remember that weekend. Yeah. You remember that weekend and there was an out, desired outcome of building a bond, building a relationship. Um, learning together, having an experience together, something that's memorable that you hold dearly to yourself mm. versus having 10 hours of just a mindless activity or not really truly being present. What are some of the, um, the hacks or the, the tips to really help, you know, let's say, let's use that family as an example, mm-hmm. to help make those share moments memorable with their spouse, with their children? It's again, the, it's the same thing as do you, what, is the, what are you trying to do with your family? Mm-hmm. Have a, real, have a conversation with your significant other and, and understand what you guys are trying to do. You go home and you put on Netflix for three hours, four hours, okay? If that's the intention is to sit physically next to each other and to not speak to each other and to be 
silent and to just be watching a television screen without moving and just ingesting information. If that's your outcome and that's how you want a relationship, great. Define that and go spend all the time watching TV together. I got you. <laughs> if your desired outcome is, I want to have a meaningful spiritual relationship, I want to be able to build something together, I want to give back, I want to give charity to someone, I want to be physically you know, healthy with you, I want to be healthy together, I want to grow each other, I want to build something, either a business or charity or a foundation together, I want to teach children together, what is the purpose? Mm of your family time, again, it's the output, mm. then optimize to that same concept. Mm. Do you and your spouse have a regular conversation about this? Yeah. Yeah, is it, yeah. Is it, is it uh, let's say monthly, weekly, quarterly, or is it just kind of happens? It happens, not, it's a mindset, right? It's not a, it's not a scheduled routine up, it's the 28th. <laughs> let's talk about it. <laughs> no. Not at all. Not at all. You know, you don't want to make it transactional, business oriented. Mm. Um, but you want to always be there, and you want to ask yourself, what, how are you spending your time? And, 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 and you go to just again, it comes to the same part with you know with your friends and how you value your friendships. How fast can you get to that shared understanding, mm. and how quickly can you get to be mutually adding value together? If you gotta, if you gotta sit down for ten hours and say, okay, let's Let's talk about everything. Let's talk about outputs and inputs mm-hmm. and our time together. And that, that is, t- you know, you, you can invest in it, do it. But I hope that you have a relationship that you don't need to do that every week mm-hmm. or every month. Hopefully you can spend 40 hours, 80 hours building a foundation and having that shared understanding. And then you're spending time optimizing towards it. Mm-hmm. So it's getting to a understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. It's purpose driven. Mm-hmm intentional output focus versus input i uh I, I let me use it as an example you know i used to play the piano yeah so in the beginning of learning piano i learned it very mechanically right play yeah. the keys and then hopefully right after some time you get to really use it as an instrument so you can now effortlessly use it as a way to express your emotion right so maybe i'm, I'm asserting you tell me this is the mental model <clears throat> What it takes aspirationally is to go in flow and have conversation, mutual understanding very quickly. Yeah. But perhaps in the beginning is the scheduling. I think so. Right. I think so. Then, then once you find your uh, cadence, your article so. together, then it becomes a lot more. I think so. Mutual understanding. Um, change of change of topic. Role of a what's, what do you think is like to be a man in modern times? Let's bring that in, you know, a little bit more about the purpose of this podcast, because most of the audience members are going to be men. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one. Um, it's an interesting one. Um, I don't know if I have a strong opinion. No. From a gender point of view. Okay. I personally do not have clarity on it, um, and I struggle with this concept. Mm. So, I'm not going to give you my opinion. Obviously, I have a lot of strong opinions, but if I don't have one, then you know I'm not, I don't have clarity here. So, I'll, 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 what I will do is I will respond to your questions with why I'm confused. Okay, sure. So, the concept of diversity, the concept of equality, 
I don't see it out there, right? I see a lot of discrepancies in this concept, whereas people talk about equality, but they really don't want equality. Mm. People talk about diversity, but then they don't really activate on diversity. And, and sometimes it just gets taken too far. And there's certainly, there are differences in, in genders and you have to respect that. But there's also, it's like, where do you draw that line of equality? Like I saw a group of men um, um, rioting or whatever recently in LA, I was riding by talking, <laughs> it was incredible, about how it's not, they were very upset that they couldn't give birth. What? Yes. <laughs> and they were talking about how there's no equality. They were fighting for equality and they were very upset that they could not experience this beautiful relationship of giving birth. Are they trolling? No, I mean, they, were, they, they seem, were serious. They seem, I mean, they seem pretty serious. Wow, so, that's interesting. Right, so let, let's just take that. I mean, it's an interesting point of view. So clearly, there's no equality, man and female. There's a biological difference there. Correct. So, but when you're fighting for equality, what is equality? Right. It's not equal. I want equality across all genders. We want equality. Well, what? where do you draw the line of what is eligible for mm. equality and mm. what is not eligible for equality? Mm. And that's where I'm confused. Mm. And that's where I'm confused where it's like people want you to speak to the same people the same way. Women speak to women very differently, whereas women speak to men mm. in groups. Not not always the case but i'm saying in general like if you're generalized men i can tell you from my experience speak very differently to men than when they're speaking to women mm -hmm. was that equality can you talk very manly and bro-like and whatever the case you know um uh, so one should say okay well then you shouldn't do that women shouldn't speak to women differently and i'll use stereotypes they shouldn't gossip about people very differently and men shouldn't be talking very you know douche-like and bro-like in the locker rooms together and that you know you shouldn't have that differences and you should all speak about the same thing. But like, that's where I'm confused is what is this difference? Mm. Where do you draw the line? Where don't you draw the line? To me, when I think about tr just even being conscious about a gender and even thinking about, oh, you're a male, you're a female, let me change. Mm. That's where I, I, I don't like that. Mm. The fact that you know, and like say a diversity thing at the company, the fact that some programs, they say, you need to have more diversity, say on a more females in leadership, or more females in the board, stuff like that. Whereas I agree, you should have more diversity and, that, and there shouldn't be a boys club, these kind of things, 100%, I'm, I'm aligned. But the tact to say, now go fire a team of people if they were most qualified potentially with that and to bring on arbitrary gender distribution just because we need to artificially force diversity and it's not because it's the best intention. Right. I also struggle with. Mm. But then you have this concept of, well, there's so much unintended bias, there's so much subconscious bias that happens. So in theory, that sounds great, Ross, but it'll never happen. Look at what's been going on. So you have to bring in these artificial things. So it's just... For me, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with a situation differently, given the gender. Mm. I don't see a reason why you should. Mm. I think that it, I think that thinking is what actually causes the problem. Mm. But I, on the flip side, I get how that's happened over the last 100, 200, 300 years, mm. and we're here mm -hmm. because of that level of thinking. Mm -hmm. So 
Again, I don't have an opinion. I don't, I don't know the answer to this. I struggle with what it means to be a modern man or what it is to be a female and the differences and what is eligible for that and what is not. Mm. Yeah, the whole point of this conversation really is to inquire about what that is and then for us to heighten um, awareness. And from that, you know, we grapple with these questions individually. Then from that, then we can make decisions, hopefully, right, from our highest self, the way right. we articulate it. Yeah, for me, I, I, think I also think that's a tactic. I think don't try to bring in bias. Mm-hmm. Don't try to separate genders or even worse, you know, races into certain things and the combination of gender race and you know all these segregations try as much as possible to just think about the outcome and the best intention and we'll let whatever happens happens that means all female that means all male that means a 50 50 split exactly just I'm, i'm hoping by putting the best intention forward and not being biased that over time it will become it will become more balanced integrated in a healthier relationship so let's do a little forward-looking for a moment. You're a technologist, yeah. right? You run a company, so yeah. you start companies. Yeah. And you have a, um, a life purpose of alleviating human suffering, yeah. right? So how do you see the, the role of technology to help with that? Because to me, technology is a multiplier of whatever the intention. Yeah, so here's how I think about it. I'll give you an example of how it's technology. I think there are some ways where it becomes an enabler and some things it becomes an inhibitor. And we're going down a very risky road, in my opinion. So let me give you this example. So a few years ago, I went to Tokyo, Japan, and other places in Japan. And at the time, there wasn't Yelp. So I'm very used to, I'm hungry, I'm looking for a certain healthy type of cuisine, I'm gonna go into Yelp, I'm gonna rank it by most commented, I'm gonna look at the places, I'm gonna find out my area, I'm gonna listen to GPS, and I'm gonna do a, you know, Uber, direct, it's incredible, you know, what a time to be alive. Mm-hmm. From, a, from a technology perspective, I can find the best restaurant, I'll talk to anyone, I can, I can call a car to come pick me up within minutes, whatever location that I'm in, take me there, and you know, <laughs> it's like magic. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's automated, and you don't have to say a word to anyone. You don't got to think about anything. It's just boom, boom, boom. And look, that's incredible for its own for its own purposes. And, and I'm a power user of this stuff. Okay, so, but so when I went to Japan, when I didn't have that, I had a panic of like 60 seconds. Like, how like, what? The, how the fuck do I find where to go? Like, what do I do? Mm. How do I know? <laughs> so, and then I'm like, well, fuck. I guess I gotta have to just talk to someone. <laughs> I gotta ask around. Right, the primal technology. Yeah, and then when I asked someone, it was like, hey, just go down, turn a right and turn a left, and go explore all the restaurants. It was a bunch. It's like, whoa, what a call. I have to ask, I have to look around. <laughs> and that took me on an interesting journey because it allowed me to look around, it allowed me to speak to people, it allowed me to look around my environment and to, be, to bring in more senses, to be thinking about. Um, interacting with other humans and nature and, and, and I started to bring more attention to like the beautiful trees around me because I'm looking I'm not just dialing and falling turn left go right do this and I'm just on autopilot and I go on my email and send an email out mm-hmm. and you're just you, and, you're, and you're focused on the interaction and you that and you and you speak to people and you have small talk and you have this banter and there's some value in that human interaction that face-to-face person-to-person interaction the exploratory of looking around your world and going in a way and that was that really stood out to me Mm. and that was because 
I didn't have technology. Right. So that example, so I'm going to bring it back to your question. And for me, technology has a choice. You can, you can engineer, you design technology to either say, stream, like eliminate human interaction, eliminate, and just automate and all these things. And trust me, you know me, I love this shit. More, more than most people talk related about automating all these foods and all like that. But you, but you have to also understand the cost of what you're giving up. And I don't think we think about it often as a society. Mm-hmm. I don't think you think about the cost of what this is. Like some, there's been some discussions around AI and how there's a million times more investment towards developing AI than it is to thinking about the societal regulations and what it can mean to us and the protections that it can bring on the downside, that kind of ebbs and flows, checks and balances, and it's out of whack in the investment. So point is, I think technology in the future hopefully will become more of an enabler to allow you to have a better human experience mm-hmm. and not just, fo- I think the, the, the years of just focusing on automation, like can you automate a better user, a, a better experience? Can it say, go here, turn to the left, and if you want, just explore, this is a great place, talk to people. Mm. You know, I think that's an example um, mm. of where I see technology hopefully going. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of design choices we could make to enhance, you know, once again, going back to that, is it maximum, is it optimal? Right. And it's right. in the design, in the minds of designers to make that choice. Right. For us. Cool, man. Well, uh, thank you. So one last question. Okay. So it would be people who are listening to this. Yeah. What would be one thing they could do tactically if they're inspired by your worldview, if they're inspired by your narrative to become a better man, better husband, better uh, CEO, better entrepreneur, better human being. Yeah, I think just I think summarizing some of the things we're talking about, I don't I don't, I don't need to throw out a new concept. Sure. I would say have have write down and have clarity on why you're alive. Mm. And whatever you think it is, ask yourself five whys deeper. So why you're alive, write it down and ask yourself why is it this? And then write down your answer and then ask why is that? And go all the ways five times. And that would be, I would say one tactic that I would do. And then the second is gonna be look at how you spent your last week, break it down and see how many hours that you spent against that fifth why. Right. And then see how many, and then, and then um, verticalize your other hours and see how it was spent. So you look at how much of your time and energy you're spending towards while you're alive versus other things. Mm. And then after you have that clarity, archetype some tactics and outputs that you're trying to get. Maybe it's say shift 20 hours more into my mission or eliminate these hours to these ways and write those as measurable goals and check in every Sunday night and see how you did. Mm. And I would start with those three things. Hey Ross, I really acknowledge you for sharing everything you share. You know, you did not disappoint. <laughs> you know, as always, always a pleasure talking to Likewise, you. Likewise, man. Anything for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, I hope uh, the people who are discerning really learn a lot from, you know, Ross's mindset. And he so generously shared these tactics, how he managed his own lifestyle in order for him to be so uh, productive at such a, such a young age. So go take some action and, and follow Ross's lead. All right, guys. Thanks all. All right. Cheers. Thank you.